Uh, today we are continuing our series called Being Human, and we are looking at this, this tension that we live in as followers of Jesus. And last weekend, Pastor Ryan kicked things off, and if, if you didn't see the message, you didn't hear it, you got to go back and, and watch it, because it's so foundational for what we're talking about in this series. So go to our website, uh, better yet, download the Hosanna app, you can watch all the messages on there as well. But part of what he touched on is how we are so wonderfully complex from the most super of all supercomputer brains that we have to the, the, set, the five senses that we have to the range of emotions that we can experience. We truly are God's masterpiece. But when sin entered the world, that changed everything. And so we have this incredible capacity towards love and care and compassion, but at the same time, we now have this incredible capacity towards sin and apathy and selfishness. And that is why Ryan anchored in on a verse that Paul wrote when he talked about what it meant to really be human. Here's what he said. So the trouble is not with the law, meaning the, the laws and the commandments that God gave to his people. He said, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I think that's about as human as it gets, right? I think that does a really good job of explaining uh, each one of us, because on one hand, we know that we are forgiven and free. We know that we have been given a fresh start. We know that the old is gone, the new has come. But if that's the case, why do I keep messing up? Why do I keep sinning? And Paul explains that as well. Keep reading. He says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, just for clarity, this is a theological statement. It is not a practical one. Meaning, guys, you can't go up to your significant other and be like, I, I, I'm so sorry, I forgot Valentine's Day. But it's not my fault. It's the sin living in me. That's just not going to fly. Paul is making a theological statement here. He's talking about this tension that we are going to live in this side of heaven. How on one hand, we are free from sin, we are forgiven, but we still struggle with sin from time to time. That we're made for eternity, but we live in reality. That we are made in God's image. And so we are beautiful. At our core, we're beautiful, but yet we live with this sin nature. And so at our core, we are broken as well. We are beautiful and we're broken all at the same time. And you already know the implications of this. You know that when your brokenness, your sinful nature rises up, that gets in the way of every relationship, the most important ones that you have and the ones you wanna make in the future. And many of you know this, this next season, we really feel like God is calling us to make room for people in our lives because people matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. And that's why we had to do a series like this. We had to talk about the things that get in the way of our relationships, the kind of things that make us sound like Paul when we say, why do I do the things I don't want to do? For example, for me, um, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so I have to uh, constantly battle against that because uh, I feel that rise up in me all the time. If I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I got books all around me and I got my laptop open and I'm staring intently at the screen and my son walks out and he says, oh, Hey, Dad, what are you doing? Working? I have to fight against my brokenness. Because what my sinful nature wants to say is, working? No, I'm just sending your naked baby picture to your girlfriend. 
Or when Amy, my wife Amy and I are driving in the car and there's a dead skunk on the side of the road and you, and you drive through that stink and she says, why are there skunks in Minnesota anyways? Isn't it too cold for them? I have to fight against my brokenness because what my sinful nature wants to say is, well, you know that, that black stuff and with the white stripe that's all around it, that's, that's called fur. So... Any gathering with my in-laws, I have to fight against my brokenness, but that's all I'm going to say about that because they might be watching online. So. But you get it. I mean, you, you can identify with that. If I choose the made-in-God's-image side of me, the beautiful side of me, and I say nothing, or I give a legitimate answer back to the question, there's so much more peace in the house. But if I say something that makes my wife or my kids or my friends feel less than or foolish for something they said... That just creates a chasm that the only way I can bridge it is by going back and apologizing. And the same can be said about the very common emotion that we're going to be talking about today, and that's anger. It's something we've all experienced in the past. We're going to experience it again in the future. Uh, yet none of us wants to be known as an angry person. And we already know that anger, it does no good to any of our relationships. So the question is, what do we do with our anger? Now, before we dive uh, headfirst into this, I want to start by saying there is such a thing as good anger. There's a, a holy anger, a righteous anger that we see throughout Scripture. Um, starting in the Old Testament, we see God. He chooses the nation of Israel from all the other nations around him. Not because they earned it, not because they deserved it, but simply because he chose them. Then he gives his commandments and his laws for them to live by so that they would live differently. Because after all, God elevated the value of women and children in marriage. He wanted people to look at the nation of Israel and see God's glory and goodness reflected in them. So when the Israelites turned back to worshiping false gods, like all the nations around them, and some of these false gods required human sacrifice, yeah, God's righteous anger came out. He loved his people. He wanted the best for them. So yes, his righteous anger came out. Same thing with Jesus. One day Jesus walks into the temple and that's the center of worship for all the Jews during the time. And he walks into the temple court and he realizes that all the merchants have basically set up like an outlet shop. They're all selling scratch and dent animals that are going to be used when it comes to worshiping a holy and perfect king. Yeah, Jesus' righteous anger came up because he just knew that was not going to honor God. So he started turning over tables and running those guys out of there. That's good anger. And because we are made in God's image, we have that in us as well. It's when we see an injustice being done or to us or to someone else, and it just makes us say, that's not right. I have to do something. It's good anger, righteous anger that makes us pack millions of meals with Feed My Starving Children, and they're sent to people who would otherwise starve to death. It's good anger that makes us go out and want to help people who are homeless, adults and kids who are living on the street. It's good anger that makes us get in a plane, fly around the world to help the least of these. That is good, holy, righteous anger that comes directly from our Heavenly Father. But that's not the kind of anger we're talking about today. The kind of anger we're talking about is the kind that makes us want to hold a grudge. It's the kind that makes us say, you owe me. And just to help illustrate this, um, several years ago, my wife Amy and I were in a charitable golf tournament. 
and we're playing with a couple of friends of ours, and it's a scramble format. And if you're not familiar with that, that's where all four players hit their shots. You determine which one's the best, the other three players pick up their golf balls, drop it by where the best one landed, and then you all hit again. On this particular hole, uh, neither my nor Amy's golf shot was the best. And so we hop in the cart, I'm driving, and what Amy would do is she would hold on to part of the cart, and then she would lean out, and then just scoop up the golf ball as it came by. And she was good at it. Except on this particular hole, she missed. And she turned to me and she said, I missed. And without thinking, mistakenly, and immediately, without slowing down, I turned to my left away from Amy. And in that moment, she experienced science. She was launched out of the cart like a javelin. The centrifugal force forced her out of the cart. I turned back just in time to see her land face first on the ground. And then she performed the challenging scorpion where her feet came up and almost touched the back of her head before going back down again. I get out of the cart. I go running up to her just in time to see her lifting up her head out of the divot that she had created. She lifts up her head and she's looking at me with one eye open and one eye closed and she starts coughing and spitting dirt and grass out from between her teeth. She was angry. She wanted an apology. I was too busy laughing. I, I tell you, I say, go ask her yourself, but she doesn't remember anything after leaving the cart. I, she was actually done golfing for the rest of the day. There were times she would look at me and go, I can only see half your face right now. Blurry vision, spotty vision. She was definitely concussed. Now, the moral of that story is even though that was a complete accident, it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's just, oh, Lord, forgive me for being a bad husband right now. Huh? Now, clearly, lighthearted example of what we're talking about, but, but you understand, you get it. It's the kind of anger that makes us say, you owe me. It's when you're going for a promotion at work. You're putting in extra hours. You, you've even taken on an extra project or two. Your boss sees you putting in the extra effort, yet the promotion goes to someone else who put in half the work. It's the child who grew up with years of anger because a mom or dad walked out in the family because what they felt was taken from them is the childhood that they had hoped for. It's the person who was assaulted or abused and they feel like what was taken from them was their sense of security or self-worth. At its core, an angry person is a hurt person. And we often hear it verbalized in different ways. Things like, you took my reputation. You stole my family. You owe me a raise. You owe me a second chance. And by the way, I'm not even saying you're not justified in your anger. Chances are you are. If you told me your story, I'd probably go, yeah, I'm angry too. And I'll just state the obvious. What happened to you whether on purpose or on accident, should not have happened. I mean, I get it. More importantly, God gets it. Our Heavenly Father stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus. He lived the same way that we lived. He experienced every pain, every sorrow, every heartache that we did. He took it all upon himself on the cross. God understands. 
In fact, I think he grieves right along with us in our pain. But that still doesn't answer the question, what do we do with the anger that says you owe me? The good news is, is what Paul writes in Romans 7. Take a look at what he says. He says, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, here's the good news. As followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I think this is one of the more compelling reasons to start following Jesus is because the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every believer today, prompting, guiding, leading us, meaning we are no longer a slave to our anger. Now when we bump into anger, we have a choice. There's one or two directions that we can go. Either the made in God's image side or our broken side. Our beauty, beautiful side or our sinful nature side. And if we choose our sinful nature, that choice will be bitterness. That's one of our choices. If we, if we choose our brokenness and we hold on to anger, it's naturally going to turn into bitterness. And chances are you know someone like this. A bitter person feels very justified in their anger, and maybe they are. But the difference is, is that they have no problem telling anyone who will listen what their ex-spouse, their child, their, their boss did to them to harm them. And every time that they do, it just puts the roots of bitterness a little bit farther down. And, and while that bitterness originally only begins to affect them, as it grows, now it begins to affect other people. And again, you might know someone like this who's been so angry for so long that it's just become part of their personality. And now, instead of just thinking, you owe me, now they start thinking, everybody owes me. And when you bump into someone like that and their anger spills out on you, you might be thinking, whoa, 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 what, what did I do? And the answer is probably nothing. Or you just didn't let them get their way. There's another kind of bitter person, though. And that's the kind of person, again, almost like a personality of anger, but yet they never talk about what happened to them. And in part, it's because they know that if they talked about it, if they took it out into the light, that it would begin to lose some power, that their sinful nature would start to lose some steam. Now, if anything that I just said began to resonate personally in you, um, what I'm gonna say next, I don't want this to sound harsh, and I'm gonna say it as pastorally as I can. There's gonna to have to come a time when you stop using your story as an excuse for your anger and your bitterness. There's just gonna to have to come a time. And part of being human is we can excuse a lot in ourselves, we really can. But here's the thing, your story explains your behavior, but it doesn't excuse it. Your story explains your behavior but it doesn't excuse it. And until we embrace this incredibly annoying truth, we are never gonna fully flush anger out of our heart. And the truth is, every time you tell that story again, you're giving control back to the person who hurt you. Speaking of annoying, here's another annoying question. How long, how long are we going to allow someone that we don't even like, someone who may not even be in our life anymore, someone who may not even be alive anymore, how long will we allow them to control us? How long? How long are we going to allow something that happened in the past to, uh, to affect and influence our present and future relationships? We may not be able to control what happened to us, 
but we can control what happens to us going forward. We have a choice. And the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have another option available to us. If we choose the made in God image side of us, we can choose forgiveness. And I know as I say that, some of you might be going, oh, I knew you were gonna say that right now. But here's the thing, forgiveness frees us. Forgiveness frees us. It, maybe you've heard the, the, the old adage, withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it hurts the other person. But it doesn't. It only hurts us. It can hurt our, our health and our well-being. It can hurt us emotionally and spiritually. Because the truth is, the other person isn't sitting up at night thinking about what they did. They're not sitting up at night trying to figure out how they can make it better between the two of you. They are either completely oblivious or they just don't care what they did to you. That's why forgiveness frees us because now we're no longer waiting for an apology that will never come or restitution that will never be made. Forgiveness frees us. Yet, I will also be the first to admit that Forgiveness is not as easy as it sounds. I know maybe for some of you, you might be thinking right now, I just don't know if I want to forgive that person. Like, why should I let them off the hook? Or others might be thinking, I've tried to forgive this person in the past, but these feelings keep coming back. So does that mean I've really forgiven them? So let's take a little bit of time just to look at what forgiveness really looks like from Paul's perspective. And uh, we're going to take a look at what he writes in Ephesians. This is coming from chapter 4, starting in verse 31, if you want to follow along. And by the way, this is the NIV, the New International Version translation that I'm using here. And Paul writes this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And what's interesting here is the, the Greek that Paul uses when he says get rid of, it means to remove, take off. Um, I think of it this way. Uh, when I go to the Boundary Waters, I get up in the morning, I climb out of the tent, I start walking around the campsite, and I know during the night, spiders have been up spinning new webs. But inevitably, I walk through a fresh one face first. And you know what my reaction is. Because my reaction is the same as your reaction. We look like Curly from the Three Stooges. We're like, like we're trying to get it off of... If you're under the age of 30, uh, the Three Stooges were a slapstick comedy team from the 1930s and 40s. You can look that up. But that's what Paul is talking about here. He's like, remove it. Get it off of you as quickly as you can. And then he goes on to really like uh, mention all kinds of other relational barriers. So he doesn't mention just all bitterness and rage. He also throws in there brawling. Quit fighting with one another or slander. Quit telling lies about other people along with every form of malice, which is just general ill will towards another person. He's just saying, listen, get rid of every relational roadblock that there can be. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, uh-huh, really, Paul? Easy for you to say, Mr. Holier-than-thou Bible guy, but the rest of us, we live in the real world. Paul, you have no idea what was done to me. And you're right, but that's where context will help us here. You see, Paul wrote this while he was sitting in a prison cell. He had been unjustly arrested. He had been shipped off to Rome, and he had been sitting in that cell for a year waiting for his trial to come up. How do you think he felt? 
That's why he can tell his original readers and us today that we got to get all these things off of it. Just remove them because he had to practice what he preached. And then let's talk about his motivation. Like what motivated Paul to live this way? Because hopefully his motivation becomes our motivation. Keep reading. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, if Paul would have stopped with just forgive one another, we still could have gone, nope, I don't want to. Not after what was done to me. But Paul doesn't stop there. Just as in Christ God forgave us. Just like we, we have been forgiven. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. But simply out of Jesus' compassion and love and grace for us, he offers this, this free gift of forgiveness. And in the same way, we need to forgive people who don't deserve it. They are not asking for it because we first have been forgiven. Now, let me talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean that that we just try to forget what the person did and start to trust them again. Forgiveness does not mean that we still don't create healthy boundaries between us and the person who hurt us. Forgiveness does not mean that you and your spouse still don't go to counseling to try to figure out what's broken in your relationship. But what forgiveness does mean for us as followers of Jesus is that we don't treat people the way that we've been treated. We treat people the way that our heavenly father has treated us. It means saying you don't owe me anything. That's what it means to forgive just as God has forgiven us. Now, what I say next, hopefully, will make this whole forgiveness thing feel a little bit easier. Um, I don't think we're ever going to feel like forgiving. I have never felt like forgiving someone. Again, I think it's connected to that sense of right or wrong that God has put in us, that sense of justice. I just, I just don't think we're ever going to feel like forgiving someone. Yet we forgive in spite of our feelings. I mean, when I... Here's the thing. I don't think... I don't think we could ever feel like we are... could be restored for what was taken from us anyways. See, what I mean is what we feel like getting is repaid. We feel like getting paid back for what was taken from us. But the, the vast majority of things that have happened to us, it can't be repaid. As I've talked to people over the years about this, I'll look at someone and say, so what would it take to make it right? And that's where they pause and then they finally realize, oh, it can't be repaid. When I think about the people who have hurt me over the years, hurt me the deepest. Even if that person or two came to me and they apologized, I honestly, I don't think it would make me feel any better. It wouldn't change what happened to me. And so I forgive in spite of what I feel. Even though the person is a complete and utter butthead, I still forgive because I have been forgiven. And the same is true for you. If the boss who fired you the friend who betrayed you, the classmate who told lies about you came and apologized to you, you probably graciously would accept that in the moment. But that doesn't, 
reset the relationship. It doesn't change what happened to you. How does a dad who walked out on a family make up for that? How does a child who put their parents through complete chaos in the teenage years make up for that? What makes up for years of criticism and neglect? It can't be done. So that's why it, just, it doesn't make any sense waiting to be repaid. Because all that's going to do is cause heartache. And it allows the person who hurts you to hurt you over and over again. So we need to forgive, to cancel the debt. So how do we do that? We've talked about the why. Let's get really practical here and let's talk about the how of forgiveness. The first thing we need to do, write down who you're angry with. This may not be the most pleasant thing to do, but I think it's important. Write down who you're angry with. And it's important because just because you've gotten over something or you've done your best to forget about something doesn't mean that you've actually forgiven it. And so it's okay to go back a little ways. And if you're not sure if someone should be on the list, let me ask some clarifying questions. Is there someone that you're okay never seeing again? Is there someone who you secretly wish uh, you wish to see fail? Is there someone that you wouldn't mind getting revenge against if you knew you could get away with it? That name should go on the list. May not be the most pleasant thing to do, but it's important. So write down who you're angry with. Second, write down what they owe you. This part we don't think about very often. I mean, we know the people who have hurt us. We know who we're angry at, but we often don't think about what they owe us. In other words, if they could repay us, what would they have to do? If they could make things whole, what would they have to pay back to us? Like what, when you think you owe me, what, what is that? Is it an apology? Money? A job? A spouse? A family? A season of your life? Be specific. Because general forgiveness does not heal a specific hurt. General forgiveness does not heal a specific hurt. So be specific. You can't cancel a debt you haven't identified. So write down what they owe you. Third, cancel the debt. And that means just making the decision that the people who have offended you no longer owe you anything. Again, just like we have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. We need to forgive the debt that could never be repaid to us. And I, I, I truly hope and pray that we are always reminded of this every time we say the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This is not some rote prayer that we, that we pray. It is, it is a foundational truth that we need to live with. It begins with a prayer. When it comes to canceling the debt, it could be as simple as this. Father, today, with your help and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am canceling the debt for this person. They no longer owe me anything. And then after that, if it helps to do something more physical, more tangible, go ahead and do that. I mean, maybe you take a magic marker and you just start crossing out the names and what they owe you. Maybe you crumple up the piece of paper and throw it away. Maybe you burn it. I know one person who buried it in their backyard. I know another person who took an empty chair and sat across from it and spoke to the chair as if the person who hurt them was sitting there. Whatever it is for you, do it. 
I'll also add, as a church, uh, we want to help you as well. Like, if you've, been, if you've been struggling with this for a while, we have a prayer ministry called Sozo that focuses on forgiveness. And it's worth looking at if you've been wrestling with forgiveness for quite a while. The one other thing I'll mention is we're talking about anger that you've experienced as well as anger that we're going to bump into in the future because that's what it means to be human. We're going to bump into anger in the future. And before the seeds of bitterness even start to get going, to get ahead of it, here I just want to recommend we just breathe a quick little prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, something has been taken from me. And today I am choosing forgiveness rather than bitterness. I choose to cancel the debt. The person doesn't owe me anything anymore. Just as you forgave me, I forgive them. Quick sidebar here. I've had people ask me, should I tell the person that I have forgiven them? And almost every time my answer is always no. Either because the person is too toxic or the person will hear it as an accusation rather than an act of grace. The only time you, you tell someone that they're forgiven is if they come to you and ask for it, if they come and apologize. Otherwise, this is between you and God. Final step in forgiveness, close the case. Just close the case. It's, it's making the conscious, sometimes daily decision, I am not going to reopen this case against this person. And this is going to take a while. I'll just tell you up front. Because our feelings take time to catch up to our decision to forgive. And so what's going to happen as you do this, if you, as you make the decision to forgive someone, you might have a good couple days, a good couple weeks, but then something's going to trigger and all of these feelings are going to come back. And when that happens, one of two things likely will happen. Either number one, you're going to start that conversation, that self-talk and that, that anger and bitterness just gets churned up all over again or you're going to try to pretend you're not feeling the feelings at all. You're just going to stuff it. I don't think either one is correct. It's okay to lean into your feelings. Just, it's okay. But use that as an opportunity just, again, to say a quick prayer like, Heavenly Father, that person doesn't owe me anything anymore. I have canceled the debt. I have closed the case. Help me keep it closed. And don't for a second believe the lie that just because you feel those feelings again is that you haven't forgiven the person. Feelings come and go, but your decision remains. You decided by an act of your will to forgive them. Feelings, again, they just come and go. Your memories, they're just memories. They're not your enemy. It's what we do with them that determines how it impacts us. So now, if you do this, if, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this. You can, you can continue to hold a grudge as long as you want to. But as followers of Jesus, we must forgive. Yet at the same time, we should want to forgive. Because when you do this, you're going to live in more freedom. Physically, emotionally, more freedom. Emotionally, spiritually, more freedom. And by the way, you're going to start to look like one of those people. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. The people who have been through some stuff in life, some hard, some challenging, even sometimes tragic stuff, but yet they exude this, this acceptance and this peace because they have decided to forgive. There's a woman I've known uh, for about 20 years. I've had the, the privilege of baptizing her and her adult son. I've had the honor of officiating her husband's internment at Fort Snelling when he passed away. 
And in all that time that I've known her, she's required the use of a walker. And that's because much earlier, she was attacked so badly that she sustained multiple injuries, including a broken back. And she's required more surgeries than a human body should have to go through. I have prayed with her and for her more times than I can count. And if you would ask me to choose a word to describe her, I would use the word joy. And notice I didn't say happy. Because is this the life she would have chosen for herself? Of course not. But a long time ago, she came to a crossroads that many of us are standing at today. And she had to make the decision. Am I going to live in my brokenness? Am I going to hold on to my anger and allow it to turn into bitterness and damage all of my relationships and push people away from me? Or am I going to choose my made in God's image side of me and choose forgiveness? Just imagine for a second. Imagine your past having no more control on you today. Imagine not allowing what's happened in your past to affect your present and future relationships. Imagine becoming one of those people. It's possible. It really is. And the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So write down who you're angry with. Be honest. Write down what they owe you. Be specific. Cancel the debt. And then close the case. You do that. You are going to begin to live in no more freedom. And it'll instantly improve the relationships you have and the relationships that God wants us to make in the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we freely admit forgiveness does not come naturally. And that comes from being made in your image, our sense of right and wrong and not wanting to be hurt. But Lord, you don't want us to live with anger. We don't want to live with anger. And so today we're just asking by the power of your Holy Spirit, may today be truly a change for us. May today we can walk out of here and begin to identify who we're angry with and what they owe us, but then help us truly forgive by canceling the debt to be able to say they don't owe us anything anymore. And then, Lord, give us the strength to lean into our new reality that that's, that's forgiveness. That's the way you want us to live. And as we bump into anger in the future, make us keenly aware not to allow those seeds of bitterness to even begin to get started so that we can be the people you want us to be, so that people see your grace and goodness through us. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray all this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.